Someone has said that there are five Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and a Christian. And most people don't read the first four. Most unbelievers, they don't read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John very often. But they read your life all the time. Your family members, your co-workers, your classmates, your teammates, they are all reading the gospel according to you. Ron Hutchcraft said, Each Jesus follower's life is either a reason to check out Jesus or a reason to rule out Jesus. I think that's true. That every believer's life is either a reason to check out Jesus or a reason to rule out Jesus. So when unbelievers are looking at you, when they are reading the gospel according to you, what do they read? What do they see? Most of the time, lost people are not going to be very interested in your religious beliefs. They're not going to be very interested in the religious things that you do. They're not going to be very interested in the religious meetings you go to. But the Bible teaches that there is one thing that they can ignore in your life. There is one thing that if they see it in you, they can ignore it. It grabs their attention. It makes them curious. Do you know what it is? It's hope. It's the one thing that everybody wants and the one thing that everybody needs. Hope. I want you to listen to this verse. I'll tell you later where it is, but just listen to this verse. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Peter doesn't say that they'll ask you about your faith or that they'll ask you about your doctrine or they'll ask you about your good conduct. And they may or may not ask you about those things. But what catches an unbeliever's attention is when they see hope in you. Now, what is hope? I've studied that word a lot this week and lots of different definitions. But if you take that basic word, hope, the best way that I can describe it to you is this. Hope is the joy of knowing God and the peace of knowing that the future is in His hands. That's hope. Just the joy of knowing God, and the peace that knowing the future is in His hands. So the title of the message today is Noticeable Hope. We've been in a series called There Is Hope. And today we're going to look at the fact that the hope that is in you ought to be evident. It ought to be noticeable. And so the verse that I just quoted, I want you to open the Bible to it. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. As you're turning to that verse, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, I want you to consider something. You may never have even thought about this, but I want you to consider this. I wonder how many people are living the way that they are because they've never seen another way to live. I wonder how many people are living the way that they are because they've never seen another way to live. You see, if everyone that they know is living the same way, how could they ever think of living a different way? So that's where you come in if you belong to Jesus. You are to be a living alternative to another way to live. You are to be a flesh and blood demonstration that there is another way to live. You are to be a representative that there is another way to live, a, a, another way to be happy, another way to find peace, 
that there's just a better way, another way to live. So our text today explains how important you are or how important you could be to the people you live with or the people you go to school with or work with or people who live near you. Let's read it again. I'm reading from the NIV, and if you have that translation, read it out loud with me. Verse 15, read it together. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now, the context of this verse is very, very important. You see, this verse was not written just independently, but it was written within this chapter, and that chapter was written within the book. So let me kind of give you the broad picture before you understand this verse. The context is this. These words were written to a group of Christians who were living in a culture that was often opposed to their Christian values, much like the world we live in today. They were living in a world that was often opposed to their Christian values. They were living in a world that did not understand or support their Christian values. They were living in a world that had a hard time understanding their Christian beliefs. And as a result, the pagans who lived in that world pushed back. They pushed against. And often, the Christians that Peter is writing to, they often experienced persecution in different forms because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Let me show you this in the, in the Word. Again, I want to give you the context of the whole book. So go to chapter 1, verse 6. I'll give you a picture of the kind of world that they were living in. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice that though now for a little while you, you may have had to suffer grief in, look at this, in all kinds of trials. They were living in a world where Peter acknowledged, listen, I understand you've had to go through lots of different trials, all kinds of trials. Go to chapter 2, verse 12. Another example. He says, live such good lives among the what, church? Among the what? Live such a good life among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. He, they were living in a world where the pagans were accusing them. As they were opposed to their Christian values and faith. Chapter 2, verse 15. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Peter was saying, listen, there's lots of people out there, and they're just ignorant, foolish people, and they're opposed to what you believe. They're opposed to the way that you're living. And that's the, way that's the reason they're saying what they're saying to you and about you. Verse 21, same chapter. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. Translation, you're going to suffer like Jesus did. If you're living for Jesus, you'll suffer like He did. Chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing because to this you were called. In other words, Peter is saying, I understand that you live in a world that's so opposed to the Christian faith that you have that, that they're insulting you and they're doing evil things against you. But Peter says, but don't give it back to people. And then chapter 4, you see this is pretty much in every chapter in this book. Chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the Spirit of glory and God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. Now, all of these persecutions 
that we've just read about seem to have resulted as simply the, the natural reaction of the pagan society against the Christians who were faithfully obeying Jesus. And it was in that context that Peter wrote these words in chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. I know where you're living. I know what you're experiencing. I know about the insults and the persecutions and the cursings. I know that where you live and where you work, it is not an easy place. I know that they don't understand you. They don't appreciate you. In fact, they are against you. But here's how you approach it. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. So, how should you and I respond when we're living in a world that's often opposed to our Christian values? Peter gives us three action steps here. I'm simply going to take the Scripture and break it down for you. That one verse and break it down. So here's my outline. It comes straight out of the Scripture. First of all, Peter says, here's the first action step. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. No matter what you say or do as a Christian, there are people who will often find fault with you. They will often criticize you. It might even be your husband. It might even be your wife. It might be a coworker. It might be a classmate or a teammate. But there are people who are around you and they are resisting the truth that they see in you. They are opposing the gospel that they see in you. So how do we respond when people oppose the truth of the Lord? Peter says this is the answer. In your hearts... You can't control their hearts. You can't control their lives. But in your hearts, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. Now what does that mean? What does it look like? The word set apart has the idea of turning everything over to Jesus and living only to please Him. When I set apart Jesus is Lord. It means that I turn everything over to Jesus and I'm living to please Him. It means that I fear displeasing Jesus more than I fear displeasing the people around me. It means that I honor God and obey His Word in spite of the consequences. It means that I'm satisfied with nothing less than the will of God in my life. In your hearts, set aside, set apart, Christ Jesus as Lord. The very fact that he tells us that we need to do that implies that there are other ways, other things that can set, other people that can set on our hearts. Now, let me explain it to you this way. Let's let this chair represent your heart. And what I mean by that is, the, 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 this is... Who sits in this chair? Who sits in the throne room of your life? Who sits in your heart? Who, who makes the decisions? Who's the boss in your life? That's what we're talking about here. There's three options. Here's the first option. Of course, the most obvious is this, that, that I'm the one who is the boss of my life. I'm the one who sits on the throne of my heart. I'm the one that makes the decisions about what I want to do and how I do it and where I do it. And, and that's an obvious way to decide, it's like, well, of course, I'm the one in charge. I, I sit on the throne room or on the throne of my heart. Can I ask you a question, though? Just kind of lean in here. Let me ask you a question. 
How's that going for you? How you doing with that? You always making good decisions? You always doing the right thing? Ever made any decisions you regret? Ever been involved in something you couldn't get out of? Ever hurt anybody by the way that you've lived or decisions you've made? Ever been dishonest? Ever cheated anyone? Or cheated on someone? How's it going for you to let you sit on the throne of your heart? That's one option. And of course, you can decide to do that. That's the most obvious option. There's a second option, and that is this. You can let other people sit there. You can let other people sit in this chair. People you're trying to please, people you're trying to impress, that group you're trying to be a part of. Maybe it's the boss because you're trying to work your way up the ladder and you're letting him convince you to do things that that are just a compromise of your faith and your integrity. Maybe you're compromising your standards because you want to be part of the in crowd with, with kids at school. All kinds of, there's all kinds of people who can sit on this chair, right? And we're letting them decide, and maybe it's not just one person. It might be a whole group of people. We're letting them decide what we do with our life. We're letting them decide how we live our life. They're sitting on the throne of our hearts because they're the boss. They're the judge. They're, they're the ones who decide what we're doing. We, we're giving them that permission. Of course, there's a third option. Third option is not you and it's not others, but the third option, of course, is Jesus. Letting Jesus sit here. Letting Jesus sit on the throne of your heart and letting him be in charge, letting him be the boss, letting him rule your life. And that's what Peter meant when he said, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. In your hearts, decide that you're going to get out of the chair and you're going to let Jesus sit in the chair. You're going to let Jesus be in charge of your life. You're going to let Jesus be the Lord or the boss of your life. You see, life is really pretty simple. It really is. It's this simple. Who sits in the chair? Is it you? You going to let others? Or is it Jesus? And this decision helps you make all other decisions in life. This decision about who sits in the chair, who's Lord of your heart, who's boss in your heart or in your life. This decision helps you make all other decisions. It simplifies so much of life. I mean, if you're wrestling with, you know, should I do this? Should I leave him? Should I leave her? Should I do this? Should I go there? Should I? All of those decisions. You know how, what simplifies that question, that decision? In your heart, set aside Jesus as Lord. Just let him be Lord. And do what he says. You know, there's... A, you know, maybe you, you feel the pressure to compromise at work, and you say, man, I, I just, I, I could feel it. It's a daily pressure to compromise. In your heart, set aside Jesus as Lord. If you fear that maybe you're going to lose some friends because of your, your faith in Christ, here's the way you handle that. In your hearts, set aside Jesus as Lord. In your heart, you say, Lord Jesus, you are in charge. And not just on Sundays, every day. If you're worried about what people may say or what people may think, if you're 
struggling with something that you can't seem to give up, if you're fighting the, the temptation to, to do something that you know is wrong, Peter would say it's, it's really a simple thing. You see, you're not just making a decision, you're making a lordship decision. Who's going to be Lord? You or Him? Who's going to sit in that chair? The throne of your heart. Who's going to sit there? You, others, or Him? And when you decide it's got to be Him, when you decide it's got to be Jesus, nothing less than Jesus, then that simplifies a lot of life. When you say it's Jesus, period, it makes a lot of other decisions easier to make. When you're tempted to compromise and you realize, no, I can't make this decision and let Jesus sit in that chair. If Jesus is going to sit in that chair, then my decision is already made. In your hearts, set aside Jesus as Lord. You see, it's got to start in your heart. It doesn't start simply in your beliefs. It doesn't start simply in your activities. A real relationship with Jesus Christ starts in your heart. If you'll do that today, that one decision will simplify and clarify so much of life. Then there's a second action step that Peter tells us in the second part of verse 15. And here's what it is. Be prepared to help others understand your faith in Christ. Because when you set aside Jesus as Lord, secondly, he said, you need to be prepared to help others understand your faith in Christ. Here's how he describes it, verse 15. But in your heart, set aside Christ as Lord. Then he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I love this part of the verse. He said, first of all, be prepared to give an answer. The word answer is the, the word in the Greek language, the word from which we get our word apologetics. And it means to defend or to explain your faith. Peter says you need to be prepared, you need to get ready. Because when you start living like Jesus is Lord, when you start letting Him sit in that chair in the throne of your heart, He says you need to get ready because some people are going to start asking you, why you live that way? You need to be prepared to give an answer. The word prepared there is you need to be ready. You need to know what you believe and why you believe it. You need to be able to tell someone else about the Jesus who's sitting in that chair. Now on Wednesday nights we're helping you with that. If you'll just come back on Wednesday nights, we're, we've, uh, we're teaching a subject called Tell Someone. And it's how you can share with others what Jesus has meant to you. So come back on Wednesday nights. We want to help you to get prepared to practice this and live this out. But I love the way he says this. Look at the verse with you. I want you to get ready to underline something. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give, underline this, the reason for the hope that you have. The reason for the hope that you have. Everybody look up here for a moment. Open the balcony down here. I want you to look at me. Look at me for a second. What are you known for? What are you known for? You know, sadly, too many Christians are known for what they're against instead of for the hope that they have. Too many Christians are known for their meanness instead of the hope that they have. Too many people are are known for their sour attitude 
instead of the hope that they have? Do, do the people who are, who are with you all of the time, I'm not talking about just the people you see on Sunday morning, but, but the people who are with you all the time, do they notice that Jesus is making a difference in your life? Do they notice that something is different in you and they're not exactly sure why? And that's why Peter said, you need to get ready. Be prepared to give an answer when people ask you the reason for the hope that you have. In other words, they're saying, I've noticed your hope. And there's got to be a reason for it. And I can't figure out what the reason is. Be prepared, he said, to give, be ready to give an answer. You see, when you have a genuine commitment to Jesus Christ, especially in hard times, people notice. Remember now, Peter was writing to a suffering church and and to a group of hurting people. And outwardly, they had little reason to have hope. Outwardly, they had little reason to have any kind of joy. Their outward circumstances were, were somewhat hopeless. But people kept asking them, why do you have hope when you shouldn't? You see, people aren't, are not drawn to God by our, our arguments. They are drawn to God by the hope they see in us. The hope that we have in Jesus should be so real that people are actually asking us about it. Someone put it this way. They said, it's impossible for you to have Jesus living in you without some of him leaking out of you. I like that. So allow the love and the joy and the peace and the hope of knowing Jesus Just allow that to be evident in your life. Let it leak out a little bit. And when that happens, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. That leads us to the third action point that Peter tells us here. And that is this. Be careful how you share that message of hope. Peter goes on to say in verse 15, But do this with with what, church? With gentleness and respect. Do this with gentleness and respect. Here's what God's saying. You have a message of hope to give to people, but it isn't just the message that matters. How you give the message matters too. It's not just the truth that matters. It's the tone that matters. Do this with gentleness and respect. Don't just deliver the message, but be careful how you deliver the message. It should be given never in degrading terms, never looking down on someone, never with a, in a fit of anger, but it ought to be always with gentleness and respect. Sometimes there's a, there's a meanness in our message. There is a, an edge to our message. There is a tendency sometimes to see witnessing as winning the argument. I'm going to show you that you're wrong and that I'm right. Let me tell you something. You can win the argument and lose the person. You can can win the argument and lose the opportunity to impact them for eternity. You see, it's, it's... You're not trying to win the argument. You're trying to win their heart. Do this with gentleness and respect. Make them feel elevated, not put down. Do this with gentleness and respect. Make them feel important. Make them feel like God cares and that you care. So do this with gentleness and respect. You see, how you present the truth is almost as important as the truth you present. 
Do this with gentleness and respect. Paul did this so well in, in Colossians chapter 4. He, he asked the church to pray for him for boldness as he spoke. But it was not just boldness. In, in Colossians 4, 6, he says, I'm praying that, he said, let your speech always be seasoned with grace. Boldness, yes, but boldness with grace. I think the person that, that illustrates this as well as anyone that I know in, in current day society is Tim Tebow. Not that I know Tim Tebow, but know of Tim Tebow. Because there's so many people that are opposed to him. There are so many people that are opposed to his faith and the way he lives out his faith. So many in, in the pagan world, in, in the secular world, they don't like him. They, they talk against him all the time, especially if you listen to ESPN or sports radio or any of those kind of things that I do. They're always pushing against him. They're always mocking him. They're always ridiculing him. And I've never one time, seen him attack others. I've always just seen him respond with gentleness and respect. And Peter says, there'll be times when you'll have those kind of opportunities too. There'll be times when people will notice something in your life, hope, that they don't see in their life. So when people come up and ask you, he said, respond to them with gentleness and respect. Give them the truth, yes, but wrap the truth up in love. Philippians 2.15 summarizes it best when it says, listen, listen, here's what he says. Become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. So here's what I want to ask you today. Who's sitting in the chair? There's three options. You can sit there. You can decide that you're the Lord, you're the boss of your life, you're in charge of your life, and you always will be, and that's your choice. And if you die that way, you will die separated from God forever because you decided it was you that would be in charge. And you'll determine your own destiny, and that will be hell, because you decided you were in charge. Second choice, of course, is that you can decide others will be there. You, you let others tell you how to live your life and who's Lord of your life, and, and let others influence the, what you do with your life. That's an awful way to live, to let others be in charge of you. The best way to live is to let Jesus sit in this chair. When I was 11, I know this is Mother's Day, let me tell you something. When I was 11 years old, I noticed that my mom and my dad, I, I literally noticed that they had something I didn't have. I didn't know what it was, even though I grew up in church and I was going to Bible school and Sunday school and I was reading the Bible with them at night, I was praying with them at night. I was doing everything that they were doing, but there was something missing in my life. And I couldn't quite understand it. There was literally something in them, the Bible here calls it hope that I didn't have, and I noticed it, and I was curious enough to want it. So when I was 11 years old, Clifton View Baptist Church, on a Sunday morning, I walked down the aisle about right there in that little church, and I knelt before the altar, and I couldn't have put it in these words, but what I was doing was this. I was saying, Jesus, 
I want you to sit in the chair. I want you to be in charge of my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe that you love me unconditionally. I believe that you forget, you will forgive me of all of my sin. I believe that you died, you buried and resurrected. If there's anybody that deserves to sit in this chair, in the throne of my life, it's you. So when I was 11 years old, I said, Jesus, you sit in this chair. You be my Lord. You be my Savior. Fifty-seven now. And all these years later, I've never regretted that decision. Now, there have been some times when I've had to come back and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I got in the chair, didn't I? Now, that, that doesn't mean I lost my salvation, but there are just times when I decided, you know what, I think, I, I think I'll decide this one. I think I'll be in charge on this one. And there's just been some periods in my life where I sat in the chair I was the boss, and I made a mess. And in those times, again, I didn't lose my salvation. I just had to confess it. I had to confess it to the Lord. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And once again today, I declare you are Lord of my life. I repent of my sin. I want you to sit in that chair. I want you to sit on the throne of my heart. As best as I understand the Bible, that has to be a daily decision, doesn't it? It's, it's not just a one-time decision. It's a daily decision where we decide who sits in the chair. I want to ask you today, would you like to... Let Jesus sit in that chair. Would you like to ask Jesus to become your Lord, your Savior? He can change your life in ways you never imagined because He's the only one who died for your sins. He's the only one who was buried and resurrected. He's the only one that can offer us forgiveness and eternal life. He's the only one who deserves to sit in that chair. I hope that today... Right now in a second, we're going to have the invitation. I'm going to ask you, if you'd like to receive Jesus, just to come to the front. I'll be down here to help you pray to receive Christ as your Savior. Other Christians, you might want to come and say, Jesus, I know that I'm saved and I haven't lost my salvation by any means, but I sure have been sitting in that chair and I need to make you Lord again. I need to obey you with all of my heart. Let's do what God tells us to do today. Father, in the Jesus' name, May we all respond to you. May we be willing to say yes to you. May we willingly surrender to you and claim you again. And may we decide to let you sit in that chair. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.